0: chapter twenty three of the benefactress by elizabeth von arnim this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by helen taylor oxford uk Klutz sped as fast as his shaking limbs allowed to loom when he passed anna's house he flung it a look of burning contempt which he hoped she saw and felt from behind some curtain and then trying to put her from his mind he made desperate efforts to arrange his thoughts a little for the coming interview he supposed that it must be the brandy that made it so difficult for him to discern exactly why he was to go to herr von lohm instead of to the person principally concerned the person who had treated him so scandalously but herr Delvig knew best of course and judged the matter quite dispassionately certainly herr von lohm as an insolently happy rival Ought in mere justice to be annoyed a little, and if the annoyance reached such a pitch of effectiveness as to make him break off the engagement, why then? There was no knowing. Perhaps after all, the ordinary Christian was bound to forgive his erring brother. How much more then was it incumbent on a pastor to forgive his erring sister? But Klutz did wish that someone else could have done the annoying for him leaving him to deal solely with Anna, a woman, a member of the sex in whose presence he was always at his ease. The brandy prevented him from feeling it as acutely as he would otherwise have done, but the plain truth, the truth undisguised by brandy, was that he looked up to Axel Lohm, with a respect bordering on fear, had never in his life been alone with him, or so much as spoken to him beyond ordinary civilities when they met, and he was frightened. By the time he reached Axel's stables, which stood by the roadside about five minutes' walk from Axel's gate, he found himself obliged to go over his sufferings once again, one by one, to count the dinners he had missed, to remember the feverish nights and the restless days, to rehearse what Delvick had just told him of his present ridiculousness, or he would have turned back and gone home. But these thoughts gave him the courage necessary to get him through the gate and by the time he had rounded the bend in the avenue, escape had become impossible, for Axel was standing on the steps of the house. Axel had a cigar in his mouth, his hands were in his pockets, and he was watching the paces of a young mare, which was being led up and down. Two pointers were sitting at his feet, and when Klutz appeared they rushed down at him, barking. Klutz did not as a rule object to being barked at by dogs, but he was in a highly nervous state, and shrank aside involuntarily, The groom, leading the mare, grinned. Axel whistled the dogs off, and Klutz, with hot ears, walked up and took off his hat. "'What can I do for you, Herr Klutz?' asked Axel, his hands still in his pockets and his eyes on the mare's legs. "'I wish to speak with you privately,' said Klutz. "'Good. Just wait a moment.' And Klutz waited, while Axel, with great deliberation, continued his scrutiny of the mare, and followed it up by a lengthy technical discussion of her faults and her merits with the groom. This was intolerable. Klutz had come on a business of vital importance, and he was left standing there for what seemed to him at least half an hour, as though he were rather less than a dog or a beggar. As time passed, and he was still kept waiting, the fury that had possessed him as he stood helpless before Anna's shut door in the afternoon returned. All his doubts and fears and respect melted away, What a day he had had of suffering, of every kind of agitation. The ground alone that he had covered, going backwards and forwards between Lohm and Kleinwalder, was enough to tire out a man in health, and he was not in health. He was ill, fasting, shaking in every limb. While he had been suffering, leidend und schwitzend, he said to himself, grinding his teeth, this comfortable man in the gaiters and the aggressively clean cuffs, had no doubt passed very pleasant and easy hours, had had three meals at least, where he had had none, had smoked cigars and examined horses' legs, had ridden a little, driven a little, and would presently go round, now that the cool of the evening had come, to Kleinwalde, and sit in the twilight, while Miss Estcourt called him Shuts. Oh, it was not to be born! Delvig was right, he must be annoyed, punished, at all costs, shaken out of his lofty indifference let me remind you klutz burst out in a voice that trembled with passion that i am still here and still waiting and that i have only two legs your horse i see has four and is better able to stand and wait than i am axel turned and stared at him why what is the matter he asked astonished you are manske's vicar yes of course you are i did not know you had anything very pressing to tell me i'm sorry i have kept you come in he sent the mare to the stables, and led the way into his study. "'Sit down,' he said, pushing a chair forward, and sitting down himself, by his writing-table. "'Have a cigar?' "'No.' "'No?' Axel stared again. "'No thank you, is the form prejudice prefers,' he said. "'I care nothing for that. "'What is the matter, my dear Herr Klutz? "'You are very angry about something.' "'I have been shamefully treated by a woman.' "'It is what sometimes happens to young men,' said Axel, smiling. "'I do not want cheap wisdom like that,' cried Klutz, his eyes ablaze. Axel's brows went up. "'You are rude, my good Herr Klutz,' he said. "'Try to be polite if you wish me to help you. "'If you cannot, I shall ask you to go.' "'I will not go, my dear Herr Klutz. "'I say I will not go till I have told you what I came to tell you. "'The woman!' Is Miss Estcourt—' Miss Estcourt,' repeated Axel, amazed. Then he added, "'Call her a lady.' "'She is a woman, to all intents and purposes. Call her a lady. It sounds better from a young man of your station.' "'Of my station? What? A man with the brains of a man, the mind of a man, the sinews of a man, is not equal, is not superior, whatever his station may be, to a mere woman?' I will not discuss your internal arrangements. Has there then been some mistake about the salary you are to receive? What salary? For teaching Miss Letty Estcourt? Pah! The salary! Love does not look at salaries! That sounds magnificent. Did you say love? For weeks past, all the time that I have taught the niece, she has taken my flowers, my messages, at first verbal and at last written. One moment, of whom are we talking? "'I have met you with Miss Leach, the governess. "'Ich danke. "'It is Miss Estcourt who has encouraged me "'and led me on, and now, "'after calling me her lambshin, "'takes away her niece, "'and shuts her door in my face. "'You have been drinking.' "'Certainly not,' cried Klutz, "'the more indignantly because of his consciousness of the brandy. "'Then you have no excuse at all "'for talking in this manner of my neighbour. "'Excuse?' "'To hear you, one would think she must be a queen,' said Klutz, laughing derisively. "'If she were, I should still talk as I pleased. "'A cat may look at a king, I suppose.' "'And he laughed again, very bitterly, disliking even for one moment to imagine himself in the role of the cat. "'A cat may look as long and as often as it likes,' said Axel, "'but it must not get in the king's way. "'I am sure you can guess why.' "'I have not come here to guess why about anything.' "'Oh, it's not very abstruse. "'The cat would be kicked by somebody, of course.' "'Oh, not if it could bite and had what I have in its pocket.' "'Cats do not have pockets, my dear Herr Klutz. "'You must have noticed that yourself. "'Pray, what is it that you have in yours?' "'A little poem she sent me, in answer to one of mine. "'A little sweet poem.' "'I thought you might like to see how your future wife writes to another man.' "'Ah, that is why you have called so kindly on me, out of pure thoughtfulness. "'My future wife, then, is Miss Estcourt.' "'It's an open secret.' "'It is, most unfortunately, not true.' "'Ah, I knew you would deny it!' cried Klutz, slapping his leg and grinning horribly. "'I knew you would deny it when you heard she had been behaving badly.' "'But denials do not alter anything. "'No one will believe them.' "'Axel shrugged his shoulders. "'Am I to see the poem?' he asked. "'Klutz took it out and handed it to him. "'The twilight had come into the room, "'and Axel put the paper down a moment "'while he lit the candles on his table. "'Then he smoothed out its creases, "'and holding it close to the light, "'read it attentively. "'Klutz leaned forward and watched his face. "'Not a muscle moved.' It had been calm before, and it remained calm. Klutz could hardly keep himself from leaping up and striking that impassive face, striking some sort of feeling into it. He had played his big card, and Axel was quite unmoved. What could he do, what could he say, to hurt him? "'Shall we burn it?' inquired Axel, looking up from the paper. "'Burn it? Burn my poem?' it is such very great nonsense. It is written by a child. We know what, child? Only one in this part can write English.' "'Miss Estcourt wrote it, I tell you,' cried Clutz, jumping to his feet and snatching the paper away. Your telling me so does not in the very least convince me. Miss Estcourt knows nothing about it.' "'She does! She did!' screamed Klutz beside himself. "'You're Miss Estcourt, you're Brout. You try to brazen it out because you are ashamed of such a Brout. It is no use. Everybody shall see this and be told about it. The whole province shall ring with it. I will not be the laughing-stock, but you will be. Not a labourer, not a peasant, but shall hear of it.' "'It strikes me,' said Axel, rising, "'that you badly want kicking. I do not like to do it in my house. It hardly seems hospitable.' "'If you will suggest a convenient place, neutral ground, I shall be pleased to come and do it.' He looked at Klutz with an encouraging smile. Then something in the young man's twitching face arrested his attention. "'Do you know what I think?' he said quickly, in a different voice. "'It's less a kicking that you want than a good meal. You really look as though you'd had nothing to eat for a week. The difference a beefsteak would make to your views would surprise you. Come, come.' he said, patting him on the shoulder, "'I have been taking you too seriously. "'You are evidently not in your usual state. "'When did you have food last? "'What has Frau Pastor been about? "'And your eyelids are so red that I do believe—' Axel looked closer. "'I do believe you have been crying.' "'Sir,' began Klutz, struggling hard, with a dreadful inclination to cry again, for self-pity is a very tender and tearful sentiment. "'Sir!' "'Let me order that beef-steak,' said Axel kindly. "'My cook will have it ready in ten minutes.' "'Sir,' said Klutz, with a tremendous dignity that immediately precedes tears, "'Sir, I am not to be bribed.' "'Well, take a cigar, at least,' said Axel, opening his case. "'That will not corrupt you as much as the beef-steak, "'and will soothe you a little on your way home, "'for you must go home and get to bed. "'You are as near an illness as any man I ever saw.' The tears were so near, so terribly near, that hardly knowing what he did, and sooner than trust himself to speak, Klutz took a cigar and lit it at the match Axel held for him. His hand shook pitifully. Now go home, my dear Klutz, said Axel very kindly. Tell Frau Pastor to give you some food, and then get to bed. I wish you would have taken the beefsteak. Here is your hat. If you like, we will talk about this nonsense later on. Believe me it is nonsense. You will be the first to say so next week." And he ushered him on to the steps, and watched him go down them, uneasy lest he should stumble and fall, so weak did he seem to be. "'What a hot wind!' he exclaimed. "'You will have a dusty walk home. Go slowly. Good-night.' "'Poor devil!' he thought, as Klutz, without speaking, went down the avenue into the darkness with unsteady steps. "'Poor young devil!' the highest possible opinion of himself, and the smallest possible quantity of brains, a weak will and strong instincts, much unwholesome study of the Old Testament in Hebrew with Manske, a body twenty years old, and the finest spring I can remember filling it with all sorts of antiparsonic longings. I believe I ought to have taken him home. He looked as though he would faint. This last thought disturbed Axel. The image of Klutz fainting into a ditch and remaining in it prostrate all night, refused to be set aside, and at last he got his hat and went down the avenue after him. But Klutz, who had shuffled along quickly, was nowhere to be seen. Axel opened the avenue gate and looked down the road that led past the stables to the village and parsonage, and then across the fields to Kleinwalder, and even went a little way along it with an uneasy eye on the ditches, but he did not see Klutz, either upright or prostrate. Well, if he were in a ditch, he said to himself, he would not drown. The ditches were all as empty, dry, and burnt up as four weeks' incessant drought and heat could make them. He turned back, repeating that eminently consolatory proverb, Unkraut vergeet nicht, and walked quickly to his own gate, for it was late, and he had work to do, and he had wasted more time than he could afford with Klutz. A man on a horse, coming from the opposite direction, passed him. It was Delvig and each recognised the other, but in these days of mutual and profound distrust, both were glad of the excuse the darkness gave for omitting the usual greetings. Delvig rode on towards Kleinwalder in silence, and Axel turned in at his gate. But the poor young devil, as Axel called him, had not fainted, hurrying down the dark avenue beyond Axel's influence, far from fainting. It was all Klutz could do not to shout with passion at his own insufferable weakness, his miserable want of self-control in the presence of the man he now regarded as his enemy. The tears in his eyes had given an opportunity for pretending he was sorry for him, and for making insulting and derisive offers of food. What could equal in humiliation the treatment to which he had been subjected— First he had been treated as a dog, and then far worse, far, far worse, and more difficult to bear with dignity, as a child. A beefsteak? Oh, the shame that seared his soul as he thought of it, this revolting specimen of the upper class had declared, with a hateful smile of indulgent superiority, that all his love, all his sufferings, all his just indignation, depended solely for their existence on whether he did or did not eat a beefsteak. "'Could coarse-mindedness and gross insensibility go further?' "'Thrice miserable nation!' he cried aloud, "'shaking his fist at the unconcerned stars. "'Thrice miserable nation, "'whose ruling class is composed of men so vile!' "'And having removed his cigar in order to make this utterance, "'he remembered with a great start that it was Axel's. "'He was in the road, just passing Axel's stables.' The gate to the stable-yard stood open, and inside it, heaped against one of the buildings, was a wagon-load of straw. Instantly Klutz became aware of what he was going to do. A lightning flash of clear purpose illumined the disorder of his brain. It was supper-time, and no one was about. He ran inside the gate and threw the lighted cigar onto the straw, and because there was not an instantaneous blaze, fumbled for his match-box, and lit one match after the other pushing them in a kind of frenzy under the loose ends of straw. There was a puff of smoke, and then a bright tongue of flame, and immediately he had achieved his purpose he was terrified, and fled away from the dreadful light, and hid himself shuddering in the darkness of the country road. End of chapter 23